Great to have you here on Founders and Friends with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. This podcast with Bill Growney of Goodwin Proctor was recorded a couple weeks ago. Uh, Bill is a longtime friend. He's really, really funny. And he's also just an amazing startup lawyer. Very, very happy to have him on the podcast. We confer with him all the time. We refer clients to him and Goodwin all the time. Great law firm, great lawyer. I hope you enjoy this podcast with Bill Growney at Goodwin Proctor. Welcome to Founders and Friends with Bill Growney from Goodwin Proctor. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. Great to have you. For those of you who don't know, Bill is a startup lawyer very prestigious at a very prestigious firm, Goodwin Proctor. Uh, Bill and I have been friends for a very long time, uh, and I even had the opportunity to back Bill's former employer, Rich Relevance, when I was at Lighthouse. So I've known Bill, and I've seen him in action, and I, actually, I know how good he is, and that's why I wanted to have him on the podcast. Well, uh, thanks, Scott. Looking forward to uh, dipping down into some of the issues that uh, startups face, and obviously... Uh, Thank you for the warm introduction. Yes. The crowd's going crazy behind me. Uh, so how'd you get into law? Like, what made you want to become a lawyer well, and, and a startup lawyer? <laughs> yeah, it's a question I ask myself, I think, uh, pretty regularly. You're laying in bed at night. Like, right, right. Night. How, did I, how did I get here? But uh, So my dad was a, a, an attorney that had a small practice um, doing, you know, solo practitioner effectively. And, you know, by the time when I was coming out of uh, college, which was a long, long time ago, 1992, you know, the economy wasn't great. I had gotten into Harvard, which, you know. Wow. Which, yeah, well, I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm a very smart guy. What can I say? <laughs> but, but, but at the time, you know, that was, it was a good opportunity, and I didn't really know what else to do, and there weren't a lot of other great opportunities out there. And so, I, you, like many people, I think, at that age, I just kind of defaulted into yeah. going. Uh, to law school and there's a lot you can do with a legal degree too right yeah. right now i didn't even really appreciate that at the time i just i didn't even know there was such a thing as corporate law i just figured everybody went to everyone went to court yeah and that's what yeah. lawyers do yeah. i mean it was the time you know la law was popular <laughs> during the 80s and Corbin it was, Burnson. yeah absolutely from major league one of my all-time favorites but we um you know, I learned a lot while I was there about the different opportunities. or guys going into consulting, guys going into i banking, um, you know, gals and going into you know corporate and litigation and whatnot. And um, and it was about the time too that the you know Silicon Valley was sort of yeah. you know the internet was sort of booming. I mean, you think was about this like ninety five when you graduated. I graduated yeah. ninety five. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. you think about you know Netscape and. You know, Hamburg and Quist took Netscape Public in 1995, yeah. I believe. So yeah. there you go. So that yeah. was sort of the beginning. So I came back to the Silicon Valley, which was home. I'm from San Francisco, and this whole internet, you know, explosion sort of occurred, and it was just IPO, IPO, yeah. IPO, yeah. IPO. You didn't even really need revenue. You didn't really need any sort of historical existence, you know, uh, to speak. Good of. story. Yeah, Could it was crazy. Public. It was crazy. So you worked on a bunch of those. I worked on a bunch of those. Where would you start your career? Uh, I was at, uh, well, originally I was hired by Brobeck. Oh, uh, which gosh, was a, yeah. yeah a San Francisco-based firm uh, that had a Silicon Valley office. And then... I said, oh, gosh, because Brobeck, unfortunately, went, went bankrupt in the bust. Yeah. They, because they signed a crazy lease. Yeah. Any Brobeck alumni out there, we still love you. <laughs> Don't yeah. sign those big leases. Uh, well, I work with a bunch yeah, of, you yeah. know, uh, of uh, former Brobeck and Gunderson folks now. But they're, it was um, Labor Day weekend where I was – before I was supposed to start as a new first year, yeah. uh, half of the Silicon Valley office 
left. And oh my god, started, I didn't know that. Yeah, and started Gunderson Detmer. So, oh, sweet. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So they had all left a few months before. There had been some folks I think that had left to go to VLG Venture Law Group. Yeah. Uh, and but the, of the folks that remained behind, about half of them bolted. You know, three weeks before, and so. Um, I have, a good, I have a good story about that. Oh, yeah? Lighthouse Capital, my old my old employer, there was a guy named Edgy Scott who was ran uh, Imperial Bank's venture financing arm. And Scott Detmer drove by him on Friday afternoon. And then, like, Edgy was, like, cutting the grass or something like that. And then he came back. Maybe it was Saturday. He drove back around and said, hey, Edgy, um, I'm thinking about making a pretty big change. Is there a way you can help kind of finance something if I start something new? And Edgy's like... Hell yeah, you're Scott Detmer. <laughs> and uh, so Edgy worked over the weekend and put together like a million dollar loan for those guys to be able to buy all the office equipment and everything. And that's one of the ways uh, Gunderson was born. Well, they could, that's the only way they could afford my massive salary <laughs> at the time. Associate salary. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it was uh, – and when we got there, I mean, there was like – I mean, there were empty boxes. Yeah. I mean, there was yeah. boxes. There was like the – there was really no computer. If there was, there was no software yeah. Yeah. on it. You know, it was uh, it was a true startup in every sense of the word. And uh, it was – you know, it was fun. It was ex- – you know, it was exciting and I did that for a while then. Yeah. That's a good experience. I and mean, you can relate to your clients. I feel like that's how we are at Cruise Consulting too. Like we're a startup too and like – Believe me, when I see that entrepreneur who's tired and really freaking exhausted, I'm like, hey, I hear you. I'm right there with you. And Vanessa's even more more extreme like that. So, yeah. That, but do you feel like that? Was that like a good – did you relate to all of them or it was just I, – I, So, yeah, for sure. And, you know, we were new, a new firm and, you know, it was exciting and – it was going to be different, yeah. you know, and all, yeah. all the things. It was going to have a, a hyper-focus. There was no litigation. There were, I mean, there were, there were a lot of things about the model that at the time were appealing, um, you know, that they, would, they wouldn't be distracted by litigation or they wouldn't be beholden to their litigation partners. Yeah. And therefore, if you wanted the best litigator, yeah. you know, for securities, you know, fraud – you, they could recommend the best yeah. rather than the guy next door, yeah. you know. And there was something very appealing about that. You know, I've come to change my opinion on that. We subject. were talking about this like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's it, nice to be able to walk down the hall right. and get like the expert in your own office right. and know exactly what's going on. Right. And if yeah. it's bet the company you know, litigation, you know, you, you have a responsibility to your clients. You're going to tell them, hey, listen, our our guy's really good, but. You know, here's who yeah. I would recommend. And yeah. we do that all the time. Yeah. But to have to go, you know, do a, get the guy to do a conflict check, you know, and, and onboard a new client just so he can answer a 15-minute yeah. Yeah. call, which most of them don't require. But yeah. then you're going to, you know, it, it's just it, it's much better to have. It's just like resources. also having the learning cycle be tighter and in, in keeping that kind of learning internal, you know, so that the Absolutely. next time you don't even need to ask the person, you just know the answer. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's been a lot, you know, since I've come back to the firm now, there's been a lot of times where I've gone to just get an, an education. I just did that. Uh, one of my partners, Grant Fondo, is big into digital security, uh, digital currency, and he um, he was former uh, assistant U.S. attorney and you know a prosecutor effectively, and so he has sort of created this this real expertise around digital currency, and so I just went and sat down the other day and just said, okay, give me the half hour, yeah. you know, overview of the types of laws that people can can 
you know, inadvertently yeah. violate. Yeah. That's the power. I mean, that's, that's why having, working with a really good Silicon Valley firm is priceless. I mean, I tell, I have so many entrepreneurs call and they're just like, yeah, I think I got, I like my, my family lawyer or some guy, you know, I'm like, don't even, we don't even want to work with you if you're going right. to take that route. You just, things get too screwed up. Just do it by the book, yeah. work with the best people. It's totally worth it. And the cool, I don't, I don't know if people know this, but like a lot of times you guys will do like a small fee deferral or something like that just to like help them get going until they raise money until they raise more money. You know, it's not, it's not like hugely expensive. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so there's a couple of factors. One is that, you know, we represent over a thousand, you know, technology companies, yeah. the, 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 the entire practice group in the Silicon Valley and in the San Francisco office and, and really in the Boston office and throughout, throughout the firm is focused on these tech startups. Yeah. And it's, you, you, you can't, you, you can't make it, uh, you know, uneconomical for them yeah. you know, to, to, to get legal advice. So we do a couple of things. One, you know, we have discounts and, and deferrals until financing, uh, you know, for, for clients that we believe ultimately will yeah. get Yeah, there's financed. a pretty high bar. You, right. gotta, you can't sure. just be some dude off the street. You've got to have be, <laughs> sure. you gotta be a track record or something sure. really interesting. Sure, yeah. And I should then, clarify that. Right, right, right. You're going to get a lot of calls next week. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm around. I'll give you my number. But, but uh, So that's the one thing. And then, two is because we do so many of these where – I mean, uh, some of the work is you know very templatized, very repeatable work, and we're able to keep the, the you know the cost points low. But you, you raise a, a, a an excellent point, which is that there's a bunch of things that you can fix if you had you know your cousin or your you know your best friend's little brother's you know girlfriend yeah do the do you know your basic formation stuff, uh, and there's stuff that you can't, and you don't want to mess around with. The capitalization of the company or the IP of the company and getting the IP locked down. Eighty three B filings. Eighty three B so important. Yeah, absolutely. And these can cause you know real problems later on. Either one's actually cleaning up an eighty three B error for yeah. one of our new uh, clients coming to us, and they came to you guys like two weeks ago, and Craig is cleaning it up for yeah. them because they forgot to file the eighty three B filing. Yeah. Maybe talk, maybe tell people real fast what an eighty three B filing yeah. is. So an eighty three B filing, it's a tax election. Normally, when you have stock that's vesting over time, you are deemed to receive that stock as it vests, and therefore, if the stock appreciates, you can have a, a, a tax event. You know, and the, the tax laws are complicated, but you, you can owe taxes on that. An 83B election says, I'm going to pay all my taxes on that future appreciation right now in advance. And hopefully the cost is zero because the fair market value equals the it's price that you're low. paying. You're basically buying them on day one. You're buying them on day one for their fair cheap. market value. Yeah. So there yeah. is no tax. So you're, yeah. you're, you're doing it. The problem is there's a 30-day ticking clock and there's not a 31 day no. you know ticking clock you know uh it's like you got to get this filing in and you can try to fix the problem but the only way to do that is to collapse all of the future vesting uh which is not ideal yeah. for you know investors that are coming in later yeah. and, and so it, it can get complicated um and but those are the types of things that you you know it's tough to uh, unring the bell, yeah. you know, if if you screw those up early. I think the other thing is, and we've kind of really come to understand this because because our clients are telling us this. People, startup entrepreneurs just need someone to call. They need to be able to pick up the phone and call one person who's their expert in law or accounting mm -hmm. or whatever it is, and get the right answer. And that is 
priceless for them. It's not, it, you know, the, all these machinations and doing all this stuff is important, but just being able to get like a good 20 minutes of, of counsel is like, is so important. I mean, that's why I recommend people working with you because it's like you can call you and ask the questions you need to ask and, and it's super helpful to entrepreneurs. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, that also goes to the cost savings. I mean, if you ask somebody that does this every day, all day, exactly, if the answer is going to take 10 minutes it's going to be given to you on that call or the answer is going to be like i don't know but it won't be oh yeah let me think about it and then go two hours do two hours worth of research which you're paying for you know and then come back to you know with what should have been a 10 minute yeah it's crazy that the standardization is really powerful so so you ended up how did you what was your kind of path to goodwin like you left gunderson so I left Gunderson. I mean, there was a, a you know another recession coming on, and I you know was taking stock. Your timing of, is unbelievable. I, I, well, I was taking stock of you know what what were my prospects, you know, um, uh, as I was sort of getting close to that sort of partnership time, and all my you know, it, and the the myth at the time was that if you go in house, you're just going to make millions and millions of dollars because the equity is going to be you know, so valuable, going to be the next Facebook yeah. or Google or whatever. And um, and so I got this opportunity to go in house as to a public company as a public company GC, which you know is a is some, deal. You know, something people aspire to. Young associates, yeah. you know, w- want to be at a public company and sort of run in their show and and whatnot. So it was a great opportunity, and and I took it and went in house, you know, for uh, I think about fifteen years or so at a series. I of didn't know companies. that. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I took off in two thousand and one. And then, and then just went back sort of last year. Yeah, uh, I still remember our conversation around because you ended up at iMeme for a while. Yep. And I and I think one other thing that people have <laughs> underappreciated is having a general counsel who actually is a good business person too is very very valuable because you can find people who are just a good lawyer. But I think one of your strengths is like you're actually a really good business person too. And I remember like talking through some of the fundamentals of iMeme and it was like hey we gotta really ramp up this for people to know iMeme was like a music startup that had a massive adoption like way before Spotify but you still had to pay the piper with the record companies and you had to like there had to be a way to monetize enough to be able to pay the record companies. Right. And I remember talking to you. And, <laughs> and it like, turns out there is not. <laughs> <laughs> record companies are difficult to satisfy. Right, right. But like I remember talking to you and you're like, yeah, we have to figure some stuff out or else we're going to be in trouble because we have to be able to monetize to pay these guys. And like I don't think many other general counsels would be focused on that or like thinking about that, right? A lot of them are just kind of knocking stuff out. Well, and I will tell you this. When – a successful general counsel is someone that you know has to has to understand the yeah. business, and whether they start out that way or whether they have to acquire those skills while they're there. Yeah, you know, and for me, it was a combination, I think, of both. But um, you know, it, it is important because at the end of the day, you have to make decisions. the 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 thing about being outside counsel is you can oftentimes provide counsel and the better attorneys are the ones that also have a point of view yes like you, i totally agree you can do x and y i would do x for the following reasons unless you can't get past z you know yes. and but when you're in-house there's no like you know a good uh you know 
attorneys can have a point of view. You have to have a point of view yeah. because you, you, you can't avoid it. It's yeah. your job. The CEO and board need to know what it sure. is. Sure. Yeah. The CEO is going to say, you know, what do you suggest that I do? And yeah. you can't say, well, you know, you can do a, you know, you know, X or Y. So, um, so yeah, I think most general counsels, you know, and people that thrive at it or, or and enjoy it are the people that also kind of enjoy that yeah. that that business aspect yeah. of it. It's that, more interesting, I think. Yeah, that said, I mean, you can overdo it too. I mean, you know, you can get outside your swim lane if you're not. <laughs> What's an example of that? Like, uh, or, I mean, you've probably done it before. Uh, so of course, you, I've done it. I mean, yeah. everyone has. You know, yeah. I mean, like uh, I'm the in-house counsel, and people, are, you know, bringing by the. Uh, uh, the, the copy, you know, for the advertising <laughs> materials, you know, and really all they want to know is how does, you know, the boilerplate at the bottom look yeah, and, yeah. you know, are we okay? Can we say X, Y, and Z? And instead I'm like, well, you know, I think a lighter shade of, of blue would really capture the model's <laughs> eyes, you know. You'd watch Mad Men the night before right, and you're doing right, some copyright. Right, right. And they're like, yeah. thanks, that's very helpful. We're going to definitely take that into consideration. And, of course, it looks exactly the same like a week later. Uh, I love it. So – Goodwin is like an Goodwin's one of the top firms in the valley. We do a ton of work with you guys. Great, great advisors. What what attracted you to, to them? Two things. One, I I used them. Uh, so oh. we had originally uh, at, at my last company, Rich Relevance, we had um, we were using a different firm. Out of discretion, Nameless? I won't name Nameless? it. They were fine. They were they were they were good. But uh, but the you know the opportunity to work with. The folks at, at Goodwin sort of presented itself, and and I had always maintained, pardon me, a relationship with a lot of the partners yeah. there, and so once there was an opportunity to switch, we made we made the switch, and yeah. it, and it worked out really great. Uh, and then in addition, a lot of my friends from Gunderson Detmer are now, are now partners there: Anthony McCusker, Craig Schmitz, Jim Riley, uh, David Van Horn. Um, I hope I'm not missing this is, These are like the who's who of uh, of Silicon Valley lawyers. These are some big time people. Yeah, they are much much more successful than I am. They're, they give it. You know, it's only going to take a couple years to catch up. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. They're pretty far <laughs> pretty far ahead, but they uh, they're great and and they've been super supportive. Um, in fact, you know, my going to Goodwin at, in many ways was them pulling as much as me going. I, I was I was headed to a different firm to do a different you know type of practice potentially. You know, focus more on, on privacy and intellectual property. Yeah, and um, and these guys were like, "What are you? What are you doing? Come here. Yeah. Where, yeah. Things are going great. The firm's doing really well. It's an exciting, vibrant practice, et cetera, yeah. et cetera." And so that's it was awesome, yeah. and it worked. And you were like instantly, plug- I mean, you were already like representing people. Yeah, well, I had one client, right? yeah. had, you know, Rich Relevance, which <laughs> ironically true. wasn't even my client. Like, I had to go ask the, the guy that had, that was getting all the credit well, for How'd it. that conversation go? <laughs> Believe me, this guy, you know, he, he loses clients, you know, that, that Was it like the, the uh, like how the baseball players, if they want to get their old number back, they got to buy a Rolex or something like that? For... <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Like that. I, mean, I couldn't afford a Rolex, so I gave uh, the guy a nice bottle of wine. So now, like, so that's your amazing place, kicking butt. What yeah. do you, like, in terms of, you you know, the people who are listening, like, what are a few tips for startups? You know, if you're whether they're an entrepreneur, like starting a company right now, or maybe they're Series A, Series B, like, what do you tell your clients? Like, what are some of the top things you can recommend or things to not mess up or things that you can really lean into right. and kick some butt with? Right. Well, so we've always got an eye towards, you know, ultimate financing or or sale of the company, yeah. where, where the diligence, you know, due diligence from the other side. And from the other side's legal counsel can be, you know, 
pretty robust. And How so, do you make that quick and easy and so there's nothing that kind of gets unturned? Right. Well, that's, that's really you know, the trick, right? And so I, I would say a couple of things. The two biggest issues, and I alluded to this before, are the, you know, the cap table and uh, you know, intellectual property, locking down the IP. I mean, the yeah. number of times you know, that I have seen founders go sideways – and and maybe they go sideways before they've really papered everything, you know. And now someone wants to be difficult, or you know, or just get disappears, and you can't track them down and get signatures. It, it can it can cause real problems later because no one wants to invest or buy a company where someone can show up the day after and say, "Yeah, forty percent of that company is mine," and you know, you need to pay me for my. Portion as well. This just happened with that drive company that got bought by GM for like a billion dollars. Like some, the co-founder showed up like two weeks after the acquisition and was like, "Hey, I helped start this company with you," and right. we have a Y Combinator yeah. um, application with both of our names yeah. on it with the whole thing here. Like, what do you mean I'm not due two hundred million dollars? Yeah, don't. Know? Yeah, don't do that. Avoid that because that. Yeah. You know, and it's it's so easy for folks to sit on the sidelines, you know, for the statute of limitations, oh, and then just wait. They have an option, yeah. effectively. Um, and it's sort of the same thing with the, the cap table. You know, a, a lot of founders, you know, they see they see, you know, Zuckerberg's got his control, you know, pre, you know, control yeah. super voting, you yeah. know, a uh, uh, stock, and they're like, well, that sounds good and unproblematic i would like to maintain control of the company i wonder what investors think about that right investors yeah. they they tend not to like it yeah. right and yeah. so and you know there's a school of thought which you know people can subscribe to reasonable reasonable people can differ but there's some folks that'll say well listen what's if i have to take it out later i'll take it out later the, the problem is is that you lose a little bit of credibility in the process and so you you just got to be kind of honest with yourself at the yeah. outset you know what kind of what kind of juice do I do I have, and am yeah. I going to have with future investors? Yeah, and, you know, then you can make a more reasonable decision. Yeah. But you got to be kind of self aware. Yeah. So locking down the cap table, making sure you're doing, it, and making sure your IP is like papered correctly. All the consulting agreements are signed. Yep. There's nothing. No one just forgot to sign something, and you yep. don't have full access to the developer's IP. Things like that. Yep. And you know, when you come to a firm like Goodwin, and, and there's there's there are other firms in the valley that. You know, we'll do the same. I mean, there, there, there's some really good firms. I won't name any of them, but you know who you are. Um, you know, there'll be a, a standard package yeah. of these documents. And one of the things that we will drive home is really every employee needs to sign the proprietary information agreement. Yeah. Every consultant needs to sign a consulting agreement because you don't want to be – you don't want to have – you don't even want to have the question come up because even if you can get past it, in investment, and let's face it, if you had one consultant that didn't sign one agreement, you know you probably might still be able to raise money. But you're going to spend ten thousand dollars of attorney's time yeah. fighting over that issue, and what are the consequences of that? And should there be an indemnification for that, or a carve out, or an escrow, or whatever? And it's just not. It's yeah. not worth it yeah. if you could have just gotten the signature up front. And you also have, like, sometimes people freelance or do something on the side, and they might be working for a big company. And then the big company's like, we're not going to sure. sign that, you know? Like, sure, absolutely. And that's that happens all the time, yeah. especially for people that are going to start a company. Yeah. They're, they're currently employed somewhere else. And so that's where spending a little bit of time with, uh, you know, either myself or one of my partners, Jim Riley, who he heads up our uh, intellectual property uh uh, transactions team uh, is really helpful because they'll they can walk you through 
how to protect yourself from claims by that large company. Yeah. Um, who has a lot of resources. Who has a lot yeah. of resources yeah. that, hey, oh, yeah, you were working on that while you were here. Well, that's similar to, you know, some work that we had been thinking about yeah. developing. Yeah. You know, and therefore we own it. Yeah. And you can buy it back from us, you know, but it's just, it's, you can imagine yeah. the parade of horribles. So those are the two big ones. Are, are there, is there something like Series A, Series B that people need to think about or, um, or what other, I mean, those are, that's super valuable. Yeah. What other things have you seen or other mistakes? Well, there's all the mistakes, you know, that I've made myself in the past. <laughs> but, you know, one of the, you know, Bill, Bill Gurley just had that uh, article, which I think was, you know, both timely and I, I thought, you yeah. know, r- really good. And that some people are s- get so invested in their valuation metric that they'll make a bad deal to protect it. And I've, you know, I've done that in the past. I mean, yeah. pe- people do because... You always think that you know it's just a, a temporary dip, and you'll you'll bounce right back. Yeah. But in many ways, you know, some of those deals can actually prevent you from recovery yeah. later. And what you're kind of talking about, well, so Bill Gurley's article was—I forget what the title was—but it was something about the unicorns and how they're they're going to be in trouble. And basically, what you're saying is, there's a lot of companies that will take a quote-unquote structured deal, like uh, an equity investment that really acts more like debt. You know, it's basically everything a debt deal would be except it's not called debt and basically gives you whatever valuation you want but you got to pay a coupon and they have right of first refusal and if you go public and the valuation is lower than what you what they did the deal at they get they get to convert at a lower price that makes them whole like all these kind of things like are there is that cover or what other bells and whistles have you seen those are some of the big ones you get the ratchet the ratchet you you get the yeah and then you know a three x senior liquidation preference, which basically means like I, I don't care whether you value yourself at twenty dollars or twenty billion dollars. If I get all my money back times three off the top, then I'm you know, happy. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm less price sensitive on the on the valuation because yeah. it's effectively debt. And sometimes those change; those go up depending on how long before your IPO. So like. And I, I, Box and Square both had things like this in their capital structure. Both are actually really good companies. In fact, I bought both those post IPO. But the, but they were they the guys who put the last money in got these massive discounts to the IPO price, where they were just totally agnostic to what the company went public mm-hmm. at, and they were they made two or three times their money. Plus, they get to hold on to their shares. It's just it's just a crazy kind of situation. Yeah. So if you're late stage, be smart about – what do you say to some, the founder? You probably had this conversation before. It's like, okay, awesome. I could take the structured term sheet or I could take a down round. Like what are, what are the things they have to worry about if they do a down round? Well, so first of all, existing investors may have anti-dilution protections, yep. right? So they may have – you know, a ratchet would be unusual, but but it's be, it's becoming more common as people try to hold on to you yeah. know their valuations right so that means like the exi- the early investors could basically they still get to preserve their ownership right they, like, uh, they get they get a little adjustment to their uh, to effectively their number of shares if if they bought at above that price mm-hmm. so they get some price some yeah. price protection and how much price protection they get sort of depends on you know the 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 flavor of of protection that they got but you know that's an issue. Morale is an issue. I mean, oh, because yeah, that's a good one. you know, if you if you're raising money in a down round, that may mean that the common stock also goes down, and now now you've got folks that have options that are out of the money, and there are solutions for that. You know, 
some of them can be major. I mean, you could do a, a repricing of the stock. You can just goose people up, mm-hmm. you know, with some additional shares. I mean, there's there's ways to solve that problem, but it's you know, it's a real problem. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Right? I just talked to a friend this morning who's like, I'm un- way underwater. I'm looking for a new job. You right. Know? Right. Yeah. Like, you lose some of the some, the know, best people. Some of the yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. the people that can afford to leave yeah. leave. You know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, those are some of the issues, you know, with taking, you know, going with the down round. But when you do the structured way, it's a little bit like take your medicine now or take your medicine later. Because you do the structured way, it makes it really hard to raise another round after that. That structured term sheet better be your last money in. Yeah. Because it makes it more difficult yeah. to then just layer more and more preferences on top of that. Because whatever the next person gets is going to be at least, you've just set a floor yeah. for what the terms are going to be for the next round. And, you know, these are all, but these, you know, reasonable people can make decisions. It just depends on how much, how expensive is that money at that valuation? And is it worth, you know, having a little more dilution? Because the investor can get the return, same return either way, right? They either protect on the downside, you know, and they sort of fix their return, or they get many more shares, and then if it goes up, you know, they, they can value yeah. the expected value can be the same. Yeah. It just depends on how they sort of structure it. Right? Do you ever see entrepreneurs like turning like saying you know, if someone offers them for argument's sake like a five hundred million dollar valuation? They're like, you know, I think I'm worth more like four hundred. Let's do that, and then we have some room. Or is that just like a crazy? Well, that would that's a successful company. That company's <laughs> going places, right? Cause, yeah, because they 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 get it. They know yeah. that you know now at an exit. A potential exit comes along. That last investor is going to be incented to vote for it and not for exercise, yeah. you know, appraisal rights or protective yeah. provisions or whatever they can do to to make it not happen because they've gotten their return. And you know, a lot of times when you're the entrepreneur or at the company or company count in house counsel, you know, the investors will tell you, "Hey, this is a good thing for you," and it's a little tough to take them yeah. Yeah. seriously because they have their own interests <laughs> in, in keeping the price low. But there's definitely something to be said for that. Yeah. You know, I, I would say with respect to the cap table, you know, th- think ahead. Don't always just assume everything is up and to the right, and keep it as simple as possible because it's going to get more complicated. The cap, yeah. t- cap table is just going to get it's going to get more complicated yeah. as you as you bring on more people and they have maybe different vestings or you do one-off grants to people or as you bring on new uh new investors and and they have you know different rights associated with their stock so as early as you can make it simple do so stay simple as long absolutely yeah that's good advice anything that um what are you seeing on in terms of like employees being able to exercise their options when they leave i know like pinterest is doing some cool stuff around um you know, keeping them as a consultant so they don't have to come yeah. up with a check to exercise their options right away? Or is that, is that like, tough to do? Or yeah, it's, not, it's not tough to do. I mean, you sit there with a big overhang on your, uh, you know, on your cap table the more you do it. And, and a lot of those companies, I believe, are a little self-interested. They don't want to create a secondary market in their oh, stock. Oh, is that why they're doing it? I didn't uh, even think You know, I mean, a cynical person would be like, yeah, because if I need to write a big check to yeah. exercise my options, I need to have a way to fund that. Yeah. I can't write a five hundred thousand dollars check. Yeah, and I'd like impossible. to not take out a, you know another mortgage or yeah. go borrow from my wife or you know my kids you know <laughs> college <laughs> fund or whatever to exercise you know options in a in a startup. So you know you know so then you look to okay well who will buy these and and that can cause problems you know for companies. So sometimes they're just to take some of the pressure oh, that's off. Super smart. Um, you know they'll 
I think that's part of the yeah. part of the reason. You know, awesome, uh, dude. This has been really good. Any any uh, parting tips or uh, besides call Bill Growney at uh, Goodwin Proctor. Call Bill Growney <laughs> at Goodwin Proctor, even if you just want to hang out and chat. Um, but I, you know, listen. I think you know lawyer lawyers are expensive, and a good lawyer will will help you manage your own costs because you can find yourself losing clients if if you become a real drain on their on, yeah. on their and they also sheet. know how much money you've raised like they know what a startup can pay and what they can't pay right you know a good one a good one a, and a, someone who's interested in the long term right so that so you know then what we'll do is we'll we'll focus on the two things that are most important initially the cap table and the you know the uh, intellectual property and then stuff that can wait you know while you're working on the the product and marketing and fundraising and all the things that startups need to do you know you don't need to do every pot potential future legal document yeah. uh you know right now uh you, know, you don't need to put in in place a litigation hold policy you know i mean these yeah. are the types of things that you can you can wait on you know even terms of service or you know privacy policies there you know there are things that if you haven't launched the product yet you know hold off on those things and, and save yourself some yeah. some of that dough yeah um so find someone who's reasonable but specializes because then you get the right answer every time without a ton of research or things like that. And I also think there's something to be said for you guys are really playing for like the IPO and the late stage rounds and things like that. And the M&A later, yeah. it's not about maximizing the profit on a series A fundraise. That's exactly right. You know? I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that we want the money when you're happy to pay it, you yeah. know? Yeah. A litigation may be the only <laughs> potential exception to that, you know, but otherwise, you know, firms like ours, it's on the, it's on when you, bec when you're acquiring companies or getting acquired, when you're doing a huge, you know, financing round. Um, but that's where you're ultimately going to have saved a ton of money in the oh, long yeah. run because it, it, the, the, the worst thing you can end up doing is have something that's going to shine a bright light on your, your diligence, you know, uh, and, and and give the other side something to sink their oh, teeth into. And, yeah, and I've seen that. Like at Lighthouse, we used to uncover like crazy, crazy right. stuff. And you're like, what? Like, how does ever even know about this? And like, half the time, only half the board even knows about it. You know, like just weird stuff happening. Yeah, we, I, I heard a horror story the other day. A, a, a colleague of mine at a different firm was telling me about one of his clients who tried to convert a partnership and just didn't do it right and meanwhile they've raised money and oh all god. of that is like poof oh my know, god up in the air you know you got it fixing that it's it's a lot harder uh, than getting it right in the in the first place yeah. you know than spending the you know five grand or whatever yeah. it takes to to get you know the company formed properly yeah. so uh can you tell the audience where to find you on the internet uh yeah so uh b growny at goodwinproctor.com and that's uh Proctor with an ER at the end. I always have a hard time spelling it, actually. I always I, want to put an O there. <laughs> I have to look at my business card every now and then just to make sure I got it right. Uh, um, and, uh, and then, our, you know, the number uh, is 650-752-3203. Awesome. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. And uh, you're an awesome guest. Really appreciate it, Bill. Cool. Thanks. Awesome. Take care. Bye. Yep, bye.